0: All right, well, I want to encourage you to open up your copy of God's Word to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, and uh, the title of the sermon this morning is Trials and God's Glory. Trials and God's Glory. A um, um, pastor friend of mine, many, many years ago, uh, gave me the counsel, and I'm, as I'm sure he had done with so many others before, and said that, uh, you know, when you preach, preach to hurting people because when you preach to hurting people, you will always be relevant because we live in a Genesis 3 world and people have either gone through difficulties, they've just gone through difficulties, or they're going through it right now. Or guess what the third option is? They're about to go through it. And uh, so this morning what I want us to do is I want us to look at how it is and why it is that God allows some trials into our life and how it is that we can glorify Him in those trials. And so, our text this morning is Daniel chapter 3. It's a familiar story to anyone who has spent time in Scripture, anyone, particularly those who have grown up hearing the Bible stories. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. So, Daniel chapter 3, we're going to look through all the whole chapter, all 30 verses, so, I'm not going to read all of it at the beginning. We're going to go through each point and I'm going to read those sections as we make our way through. Okay, so let me lead us in prayer and then let's get started. Lord Jesus, uh, we do live in a world that's broken ever since Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned and you justly placed a curse on your creation. Um, we're told by the Apostle Paul that now everything groans and looks for the day of redemption. Uh, we as believers are looking forward to the day that we get to be with you. The, the creation itself is is looking forward to, to going through that death process and then a new earth and new heavens are created. But for this time, we live in a place where sickness, sorrow, injustice... Uh, immorality, and the consequences of that, and all sorts of things are just common. We just live in a world that's broken, and so it's going to get difficult uh, from time to time. So, Lord, I pray that as we look at Daniel 3, that you would help us as God followers, as Jesus followers, to, to reflect on how it is that we are to behave as we go through those difficulties, and why it's so important that we uh, that we glorify you even as we're going through it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you've got your bulletin, you've uh, inside got the sermon notes and some things that you can fill in. The first point that we're going to look at in verses 1 through 12 is, you know, I just, I just made my way through this chapter writing down the things that were obvious. Uh, point number one in verses 1 through 12 is we are not immune from trials. <laughs> we are not immune from trials. They are going to happen. Let's read Daniel 3 verses 1 through 12. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue. Okay, so hold on just for a second. I'm not going to pause as we read through all 12 verses because we're not going to have time for that. But basically, and this is important, the reason why Nebuchadnezzar made this gold statue that was 90 feet tall, roughly about 90 feet tall, was because previously he had had a vision. And uh, so Daniel interpreted this vision and said, okay, you had a vision of this person who had a head of gold and silver and then bronze and then iron and then feet of iron and clay and then, you know, a hand, uh, uh, you know, reached out and uh, cast a, a stone at those feet and and the, the whole thing just collapsed. And Daniel said, essentially, this is the world powers of the world and the hand is the Lord bringing it all to Completion that it's all done. And so he said, you are the one who's the capstone. You're the head of gold. Everything else is inferior in quality to you. You, O Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. And so what did he do as a result of that? Did he praise the Lord and say, Lord, thank you that in your grace you have acknowledged me, a humble servant, and and saw me as gold when I don't feel as if I'm gold? Is that the way he responded? No, he didn't. He said, well, at least God recognizes that I am who I think I am already. And so he said, I'm not just a head of gold. I'm going to create a statue of gold. And so he created a statue of gold and demanded that people bow down to it. God had spoken through his prophet. And this man was so hard in his heart and so arrogant and so narcissistic that it, it, he didn't draw closer to God. He moved farther away. So that's the context of what's going on. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in front of someone who has experienced the Lord through one of his prophets, but he is someone who it's just settled into his wicked heart. They're not in front of a God follower. They're in front of a narcissist. Daniel 3.1, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors—I wonder if they had copy and paste. I would have used copy and paste. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue of the king that the king had set up. Then they stood before the statue Nebuchadnezzar had set up. A herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, you are commanded— When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, when all the people heard the sound, here's copy and paste again. When all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king." They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. This is where if this was going on, you would have background music that creates tension, realizing things are about to go south really fast for these three guys, really south. One of the erroneous things, the erroneous theologies that we come up with, and this is why we have got to be people of the Word. We can't take our cues... From the world, cannot take our cues from the world, and we should not primarily take our cues from Bible teachers and well intentioned preachers, me included, or anyone else, not primarily. You are responsible for yourself to get into God's Word, to measure everything that I say, everything your Bible teacher says, everything that anybody says, you are responsible to get into God's Word to find out what it says so that you're able to sniff out things that are not biblically true, right? If you're just dependent on, on me, I'm telling you, as I look back over sermons that I preached when I first got into the ministry, I don't even agree with some of the things that I said, but they were thinking, the preacher said it, it must be true. I don't even agree with some of those things. If I, as I have dug into Scripture, you are responsible yourself to get into God's Word, to measure everything that everybody is saying. One of the things that is so unbiblical, and yet it is believed by so many Christians, is this. That if bad things are happening to you, that you must be in God's disfavor. That if bad things are happening, you must not be living right. You know, especially if bad things keep happening. Or if you're praying and God's not answering your prayers, and those bad things are not going away, then you must not be living right. Or the opposite is, well, if things are going really well, then that's God's blessings, and I must be living right, and you must be living right if things are going well. Let me tell you that when we read the Word of God, very rarely do we see something so simplistic it's oftentimes more complicated than that. God in His grace gives the sunshine and the rain on the wicked and on the just, right? We can't measure our spiritual stature, how far away or how close to the Lord. We can't measure that by the difficulties or the absence of difficulties that are going on. But oftentimes, we, we live in a culture that celebrates, you know, achievement and celebrates goodness and grace. And when something good happens, wow, God blessed you. Maybe that wasn't God's blessing, you know? Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it's just God's common grace where He's giving something good to someone who's dealing with something in their heart nobody else knows about but they're harboring sin in their heart and that was not a simplistic blessing I'm just telling you that whenever we because there have been so many people that have come to me for counseling over the years and said pastor I've just had so many things happen and I see it feels like God has favorites and I'm not one of them <laughs> I've even had some that say it feels like i'm cursed what they're doing is they're measuring their spiritual stature by what's happening to them i'm telling you when we look at god's word sometimes god's choices of saints went through more stuff than you and i will ever go through they have gone through more than you will i will ever go through we are not immune from trials Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not perfect, but they were desiring to live for the Lord. They would not bow down to this image. Why? Because the Ten Commandments prohibited. You shall not make unto yourself any graven image. You shall not bow down to it. They were not going to break that. They weren't perfect, but they were desiring to follow the Lord. And now life got tough on them. It's not because they were sinning. It's because they were living right. So I just want to encourage you, that whenever bad things are happening allow that to be an opportunity in your mind your heart to go before the lord and say okay lord i i don't your ways are higher than my ways i think you're doing one thing you're doing a million things But Lord, is there any sin that I'm harboring right now? Is there anything in my heart that I'm harboring right now? Is there any sin that I'm tolerating or that I haven't repented of? I haven't made right. And if God's Holy Spirit confirms to you that there is no big sin, there's always sinful stuff, sinful motives, attitudes. But if there's no big thing that's going on, then embrace what God has brought into your life as something that God has either actively willed or passively allowed for His purpose, for whatever reason, to help us to become more like Jesus. We are not immune from trials. Number two, trials may terrify us. (laughs) I'm telling you, I can't, Kim and I, we can't, and so many of y'all, you can't stand fake Christianity. Can't stand it. How are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. Don't oh, quit lying. <laughs> I mean, the, the, a lot of times people just put on that smile and say things that are not genuine and they're struggling. It's not like we want everybody to pour everything out when we ask them how they're doing. But I'm telling you that whenever we are going through this life, there are always going to be things that, go, that we're going through that, that make it difficult. Sometimes that even terrify us. I think that as Christians, all too often, we're not honest about our struggles, and therefore, we don't give others the opportunity to see a flawed example, but to see how it is that Christians go through difficulties. So, trials may terrify us. Look at Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Now, it doesn't say that they were terrified, but just put yourself in their shoes, okay? Daniel 3, verse 13. Then in a furious rage. Okay, so the king is furious. There is no supreme court. There is no police. There is nobody that can stop him. When the king is angry, everybody gets out of his way. Whatever he wants to happen will happen. He's furious. Their doom is sealed. Then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the copy and paste of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship, worship it. You will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire, and who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. Now, they weren't doubting God's existence. They were talking to a man who did not believe that God exists. That's why they used the word if. They knew God existed. They knew Nebuchadnezzar did not believe that. So they said, if our God does not exist, I mean, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, O king, But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Um, It sounds like they're courageous as they're talking, right? One of the things that I have observed in my own life, and I know that so many of you have experienced this as well, is in those—step back— one of the things that I've observed in life is that rarely do we ever experience only one emotion at one time. In in my experience, never do I ever experience just fear or just faith or just whatever. Usually it's kind of a mixture, right? And one of the things that I've realized is that even as the Lord in His grace gives us the ability to trust Him, there's still that mixture of fear, you know? that's okay lord i trust you but i'm still nervous <laughs> lord i'm like peter i'm stepping out of the boat i see you but i know there's waves all around me and at any moment these waves could come and crash and i would be down in in the water um it was like three and a half weeks ago i was traveling back from the asbury uh, revival there in wilmore kentucky and uh caught a plane from Louisville down to Houston Hobby Airport where I got on a connecting flight. And uh, as I got onto the flight in uh, Houston to come over here to Tampa on my way back home on that Thursday... um, I uh, hooked up to the plane's Wi-Fi as we were getting close to uh, Louisiana, to the state line. I could, you know, see it on my map and hooked into the Wi-Fi. So I texted Kim, "Hey, you know, how you doing? Hope things are going well. Uh, hope I-4 is, you know, the traffic getting bad on I-4. Ha ha." And uh, she said, "Matt, can can you call? Can you call?" And I said, "No, I can't. I'm on I'm on the plane's Wi-Fi. Um, I can't call, but we can text." And that's when she texted that that mass had been found in her kidney. They didn't know what it was. They said there were cystic, opera, uh, cystic uh, qualities to it, which led them to believe that part of it would uh, was benign. But there were also hard, uh, a hard lesion. There was a hardness to that, which led her doctor to think that it may be cancer. Not sure, but it may be cancer. And... Uh, First thing, just out of my mind, as I punched in to to Kim, as we were still on the Wi-Fi, is oh because no. because we've been through this before. You know, Kim's lost one kidney because of cancer. Kim has had other precancers and cancers taken out, and so we've been through this journey before, and so we have realized that a lot of time, whenever we are trusting the Lord, it's like a tug of war. At least with us, I don't know about y'all, but with us, it's a tug of war. It's, yes, I trust the Lord, but yes, I'm struggling as well, you know? And it's like it's back and forth, back and forth. I trust Him, but oh my goodness, I see the waves, and the waves are scaring me, okay? But I trust Him. I trust the Lord. And He's going to, even if it doesn't go out well, He's good, and I trust Him. But yes, those waves, and we don't know how this is all going to end up. And I'm telling you that one of the things that we have experienced in our own lives is that in those times when we are trusting in the Lord, it is also a time of fear. In fact, we can't even know if we are truly trusting the Lord unless we are afraid. Let me explain. Um, when life is going well, it is so easy to say, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him more and more, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh for grace to trust him more. It's easy to say that and sing that whenever life is going well, but when your life falls apart and you know what that's like, you all have been through things in your life where the bottom fell out. That's when you truly find out if you really trust him. That's when you really find out if you truly trust him. That's when you realize, am I going to stiff arm the Lord and move away from Him and move away from trust and not spend time in prayer and not spend time in my word and just kind of process this to myself? Or or am I going to let these difficulties and these trials pull me in so that I'm realizing that on my own I am nothing, I am impotent, I am unable to fix this, but I am in relationship with the one who can. It is out of fear, the soil of fear, that grace, that faith can grow. I'm telling you, we miss opportunities to grow in our faith whenever we spend time going through our difficulties, frustrated with the Lord, at Him allowing us to go through that. Those difficulties are the opportunity that God gives us to see, do I really trust Him? Do I really, really trust Him? John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus said, Don't let your heart be troubled. What was the answer to it? Believe in God believe also in me. That word for believe means, to, and, and remember that the biblical word for belief and the word here is faith, uh, faith in God, also have faith in me. It, it means that we understand things that are presented as truth that God tells us in his word. We consciously in our minds say, yes, I believe that to be true. But then the third step is, I not only believe it, I'm resting in it. I'm trusting in it. Jesus said the answer to a troubled heart is to believe in Him so much that we're resting in Him, that no matter what happens, we know that He's good. We know that He's going to see us through it. And even if He doesn't take us away, He does love us, and He's working all things out for His good. We trust Him. You see this? The answer to a troubled heart is trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. But I also want you to see something else sometimes, and and you may be saying and, and and it would be right to say this, I love critical minds, I love minds that that are thinking about different angles, not just passively listening but thinking. Some may say, well it would be e- it 's easy, Matt, for you to say this because God took away <laughs> your difficulty this past week. Um, I want you to know that This has been a rare occasion in Kim's and my case, and in so many of your cases. Most of the time, God chooses not to take it away. If you read, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul the Apostle is asking God to take away his thorn in the flesh. And he says three times, on three occasions, I asked the Lord, please take it away. And the Lord said, I'm not going to take it away because my power is going to be perfected in your weakness. I'm going to give you the grace, the, uh, Paul, I'm going to give you the grace to endure these difficulties. I'm not taking them away. And I want you to know that that's... That's what these three guys acknowledged. They said God may choose to take away our problem, but even if he doesn't, We're still going to follow him. Listen to their words in 16 through 18 again. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. Verse 17. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. God can take away our problems. But... Even if he does not rescue us, if he does not take away our problems, if he still just allows us to experience this injustice, this wrong, this tragedy, this difficulty, if he allows it to keep on, we want you, the king, to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Why were they not worshiping his gods? Because they were continuing to worship the true God. Uh, We've got to be so careful that we bargain with God, and when God does not turn things out the way that we want it turned out, that then we stiff-arm them then, you know? We ought to have the kind of faith that says, God, this is what I would like for you to do. But God, even if you don't, I'm still going to serve you. Jesus said, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But nevertheless not my will, but yours be done. It brings fear, but it also brings an opportunity for us to see if we are trusting in Him and resting in Him and seeing if we are resting in Him even if things don't go well for us. And point number three, there are comforts to get us through trials. God provides us comforts to get us Through trials. Look at verses 19 through 25, Daniel 3, 19 through 25. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, I thought he was already furious, but apparently it changed. It got worse. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more. ...than was customary. You know, fire wasn't hot enough. He heated the fire up seven times more. And he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... ...and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men, in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes... ...were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, Didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like, and my translation says, a son of the gods. Uh, Because in the Old Testament, Jesus was not known as the son of God. And so this pagan king would have been saying, a son of the gods. He was not converted. He did not come into a right relationship with God yet. So he said, aren't there four men now that are walking, not tied, walking around in the fire and harm? And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So let's talk about this for a little bit. First, what are some of the comforts? One, one of the comforts may be we have lived a holy life and this is not because of sin. One of the comforts we may have in times of difficulty is that it's not because of sin that I'm experiencing this. So we're going into it realizing that we're not perfect. But it's not because of sin that I'm experiencing this. I'm telling you that I have experienced many consequences because of my sinful choices. And that's not fun to go into because I know that I did whatever, whatever happened that took me into that place. God is still so powerful that he can still work all things out for the good. But I'm telling you whenever I sin and then I experience the consequences, I struggle with a conscience. I struggle with my conscience. I struggle with realizing it's me that got me here. But if we're following the Lord and bad things happen, there's a peace that we can have in knowing that it's not me that did this. And so the Lord allowed this to happen in my life, so I'm just going to trust Him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that they had done nothing other than serve their God rightly, and they were in this situation. And so even if they were going to die, they knew that they were dying as men who sincerely loved and served and worshiped the Lord. So, even though we go into difficulties, chase after holiness, chase after the Lord Jesus, so that even as you're going through those trials, you can have the comfort of knowing it's not your sinful choice that got you there. Number two, another comfort. We are experiencing what God has sent our way. What God has sent our way. Let me ask you a question as we look at Daniel 3. Who put... The three people in that fiery furnace. It was Nebuchadnezzar and his men, right? But who was ultimately in charge? Who is so in control that if he had willed for them not to be put in there, Nebuchadnezzar could have done nothing? Who's so in charge that he even trumped Nebuchadnezzar? Well, of course the Lord is. And so, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in this situation where they were about to be put in and then through, be thrown in, they knew that our God is in control. I'm telling you, that's such a comfort, such a comfort. I don't know how people who do not believe in the Lord, I do not know how they go through difficulties, I do not know how they can mentally and emotionally reconcile many of the bad things that happen to them and around them in their life without the knowledge that God is alive and well, He reigns supreme, and He is the one who has allowed me to be in this place. There's just something comforting knowing that even in the troubles God knows where we are, and he allowed us to be there. In Luke chapter 8, we have the story of Jesus who served there on the shores, a crowd, large crowd, and then he sent the crowd away, and then he sent the disciples into a boat across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. And it said that, uh, you know, he hung out for a little bit. And uh, so whenever uh, Jesus, was, actually I'm thinking of a different scenario. This is actually, an uh, Luke chapter 8 is about Jesus in the back of the boat. He didn't go up on the mountain. This is when he was in the back of the boat. And when they went across the, the, the sea, the winds began to pick up. And the storms were, were blowing. And these, some of these were men that their life was all about being on the Sea of Galilee and fishing. And they were scared as the water was coming in. And they were afraid. They were terrified. And they went back and woke Jesus up in the back of the boat. And what did Jesus say to them? Did he say, all right, guys, I understand why you're scared. I'd be scared in your situation too. Is that what Jesus said? No. He said, where is your faith? One of the things I believe Jesus meant by that is he said, holy cow, guys, I'm in the boat with you. (laughs) Nothing's going to happen to this boat because I'm in the boat with you, and who sent you on this trip? I did. There is comfort to be had when we are going through difficulties in our life knowing that God is there with us. Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world, and knowing that we are where God has us. We are experiencing what God has sent our way. When we're going through difficulties, one of the comforts to be had is knowing that we are within God's will. And then third, God is with us. God is with us. Whenever King Nebuchadnezzar looks there into the furnace and he said, wait a second, I saw, we put three in, didn't we? And now I see four. And one of them looks like a pagan king said, a son of the gods. And we would say, oh, you've misidentified him. He's not a son of the gods. He is the son of God. I'm telling you that this is a comfort to be had. This this enables us to see if we are really followers of Jesus and if, as followers of Jesus, we're really trusting in Him. It's easy to say that we celebrate God's presence in our life when life is easy. But when everything falls apart, is our belief, our head knowledge, and also our heart trust in the fact that God is with us, that the Holy Spirit is in us, that there's nowhere we can go, that God's Holy Spirit is not with us. Is that so deeply believed that it provides comfort whenever we're going through those troubles? I'm telling you, there's not much more that will make us afraid than going through some really dark times and feeling like we're in it alone. Friend, if you're saved, you are never alone you are never alone. Even if everybody else forsakes you and me, we are never alone. If you were saved, God's Holy Spirit is within your heart and He is with you in that trial. That's one of the comforts to be had as we go through difficulties is knowing ideally that we have been living a holy life and it's not because of sin, but even if the trouble is because of sin, even then God can still work it uh, out for our good, that God has sent us into that and it's God who is with us in those difficulties. Those are comforts to be had. So let's look, number four, at the fact that trials have a purpose. Trials do not come by accident. They serve a purpose. Look at Daniel chapter 3, and we'll go on and finish the chapter 26 through 30. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God. See, he's got it now. You, the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And when the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Notice, these are pagans. These are lost, unbelieving, non-God followers. And they're looking at how God followers went through a time of difficulty. And they're observing. You see this? They saw that it had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their heads was singed. Their robes were unaffected. And there was no smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar explained, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. See, those who followed the Lord and even experienced wrongs and injustice because of that, this, those who were unbelievers are looking at how they went through their trials. This is a very important lesson. Verse, uh, the second part of verse 28 again, they violated the king's command. They, they knew that it was wrong. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, and this is where King Nebuchadnezzar goes crazy again. I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation or language, who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb, and his house made a garbage dump. This, this is not of the Lord. This is just a crazy king. Um... For there is no other God we understand that that to follow the Lord is not something that can be forced. You cannot be coerced. We as Christians do not believe that anyone can be or should be forced to follow the Lord God. It is up to every single individual to accept or reject. That's what I mean whenever I say he was going a little bit crazy. He was trying to force and coerce. He's gonna tear them limb from limb if they didn't believe in the Lord. For there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So what are some purposes? Let me share with you just three purposes that I that I see. One, God desires to be glorified and to bring the lost to himself. God desires to be glorified and bring the loss to himself. Have you ever noticed that whenever a Christian falls, particularly a Christian leader, when a Christian leader falls, the world will will catch it and will mock and and allege hypocrisy and, and fraud and everything else. Do you know why? It's because they know that those who profess to be Christians claim to live to a higher standard, and when they see that duplicity, They just want to throw it all out. You know what that tells me? The world is watching and always has been. You may think that people are not watching you and how you go through things. You may think that your kids are not watching, your grandkids are not watching, your neighbors, your friends. You may think nobody's watching you. Your relationship with the Lord is just yours, and it's a private thing, and it's between you and God. There's nobody that's ever lived a private relationship with the Lord. People are always watching Always watching. Here, they were watching these three guys. They watched how it was that they stood courageous. And even though there was the threat of being burned in the fire, they refused to bow down to what they believed to be wrong, bow down to a golden statue and idol. And unbelievers were watching them, they were watching them go through trials and difficulties. I want to let you know that God is always about the business of drawing unbelievers to himself. And a lot of times, he likes to use you and me. And a lot of times, we can tell, speak the gospel until we're blue in the face to people, and they just won't believe it because it's just words to them. But if they see someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, experience injustice, or go through great trials, or any number of other things, and they're watching to see, is what they say true? Do they really believe it? Are they really trusting in the Lord? Or do they act just like us as they're going through difficulties? As the lost watches, I'm telling you that as the lost watches and they see you go through trials, but you continue to trust in the Lord, you acknowledge that you struggle with fear, that it's a battle, you're real, you're not fake, you're real, you acknowledge where you're you're messed up, but they see that you're serious and that you love the Lord Jesus and that Jesus is clearly a very important part of your life. He is your king, he is your savior, he is your Lord. I'm telling you that is worth more than a ton of words. At the time, let's just pick up the pace. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says, You rejoice in this, even now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. And, and Peter, when he wrote the book that we call 1 Peter, was writing to a persecuted people who were desiring to pursue holiness, but they were being persecuted for following Jesus. And so Peter was saying, this is how you live at your faith in times of difficulty. And so he said, you rejoice in this even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Why? Why were they suffering grief in various trials? Verse 7, so that the proven character of your faith, or your translation may say, the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What He is telling us, what the Lord is telling us in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, is that as we go through difficulties, the the heat, the fire of those difficulties, one of the things that God desires to do is allow those fires of difficulties and, and wrongs and injustices and hardships, allow those fires to purify our faith. So that all that is, that is sinful and all that is wrong kind of burns off. So that we are becoming more like Jesus. You see this? God wants to take us through difficulties so that we become more like him. More like him. Fact of the matter is, is a lot of times we tend not to grow in our faith when life is easy. It takes difficulties. Point number three, fellow, uh, fellow believers... Fellow believers are encouraged. Fellow believers are encouraged. One of the reasons we go through difficulties is fellow believers are encouraged. Philippians 1.14. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. And so, Paul, writing from prison, said, You know, I'm in prison and I'm suffering for the cause of Christ. I've been put in prison for preaching the gospel. But he said, What, what is happening is many people that are out there are taking courage because of the fact that I'm in here. Do you know one of the things that causes the greatest fear in us? It's the unknown. That scares us silly. <laughs> you know, we, how many of you would admit that you have worried about things that have never happened? Anybody ever worried about something that never happened? Okay, that's all of us. We worry, and in our minds, God, our God-given imagination can make that thing so big and so scary that it terrifies us. And so what happens is, is when somebody else actually goes through that, we look at them and say... Well, it's bad, but it wasn't as bad as I was thinking it was going to be, right? So that's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, hey, I'm showing you. I still can write letters. I'm still praising the Lord. We're singing here in the prison in Philippi. We're enjoying the Lord. So don't y'all be afraid of being put in jail for serving the Lord and preaching the gospel. If you get put in jail, we can sing together, right? And so a lot of times when we're going through difficulties, it's to encourage other believers. Hey, they're going through that. Look at the grace that God has given to them. So God will help me when that time comes as well. You see this? Point number five, and we're done. We respond by embracing what trials bring. We respond by embracing what trials bring. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, 2 through 4. Consider it a great joy. James says, hey, I want you to consider this a reason to get real happy. Consider it an opportunity to just start dancing and doing a jig to the Lord because you're so happy. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Get happy when life gets hard. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. James joins in what we have looked at previously, that a lot of times God brings difficulties into our life to develop character and to develop fortitude and to develop endurance and stick-to-itiveness so that as we are not running away but as we are remaining where God has us resting in him trusting in him we've got questions we've got fears but we are developing endurance then in that place God can do some incredible things in our life to make us more like Jesus to make us more like Jesus a lot of times we run away Or we spend time questioning, God, why? Or maybe we even get angry at God. Why would you let this happen? Rather than realizing that difficulties, trials in our life are an opportunity for us to develop endurance, So that, you know, we've been here before, and it's tough, and we don't want to be here again, but hey, the Lord has us here. And it's not as hard as it was the last time, because I've developed some endurance. And so in this place, we're pursuing the Lord and listening to the Lord, and the Lord is speaking to us through His Word, and we're spending time in His presence in prayer. And God is making us more like Jesus. So when difficulties come, Christians are told to embrace them because of what they do, what they can do. Nobody likes it when life is tough. Honestly, I think somebody would have, we would rightfully say somebody might have a serious mental illness if they enjoyed it when life was hard. I have known a couple of people that weren't happy unless they were sad, but those people are few and far between. Most people realize that I just don't like it when it's tough. But we don't like the tough times. We like what the tough times produce. Makes us more like Jesus. Gives God an opportunity to reach out to others and pull them in. Unbelievers to salvation. Believers to courage and faith. So friend, I don't know exactly what you're going through. But take heart that as you're going through what you were going through, God's got you where you are, but it's not just you. We're a church, and so don't go through things by yourself. Show up to the Wednesday night prayer meeting. Let's pray over you together. Let's spend time doing that so that you're not going through this alone. But realize that God has good things planned because you are going through what you're going through. If you're somebody that's never trusted in Jesus, uh, you, you don't, this, this doesn't make sense to you because you don't even have a relationship with Jesus. All it takes for you to be saved is to acknowledge that before a holy, good God, a God that has laws and He requires us to obey them, that we have broken God's laws and so we're guilty. And so God, as a holy God, must sentence those who are guilty to a place called hell, where sinners are supposed to go, but God in His grace and love sent Jesus to die on the cross so that anyone who will look to Jesus and trust in Him instead of themselves, trust in Him, will be forgiven made God's kids. You become a child of God. We're declared righteous. So many things are true of us. We get to be a part of the family of God. All it takes is coming to a place in your life where you're not trusting in yourself anymore. You acknowledge your guilt before God, but you look to Jesus by faith and trust in Him to make you right in the Father's eyes. If that's you, if you need to trust in Jesus, why not, as I pray right now, why not give your heart to him? Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning and uh, thank you that, uh, that from a Christian perspective, we're able to look at trials differently than, than many other people might look at them. We're actually able to embrace them, not because we like the difficulty, but because we like what you are doing in it and through it. Father, I pray particularly for those in this room who are going through trying times and maybe they are losing heart. They're feeling exasperated. They feel like they're, they've been holding on to the knots on that rope, and they're on the very bottom knot just holding on for dear life. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray, Lord, that they would reach out to at least one fellow believer for to, to have someone pray over them and to help them and encourage them. Lord, we live in a broken world, but help us in this broken world to live in such a way that we proclaim your goodness and your grace, and we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up together as we